Hey folks, welcome to Adventure Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Mason. Today is typically a Throwback Thursday episode, but we're going to do something a little bit different today. Uh, We're going to do a little bit of my new podcast, Florida Uncut. We're just going to feature like the first 20 minutes of this interview that I did with a rancher. And and let me go ahead and explain what this new podcast is. Uh, I launched it last week and you know, I guess I'll just wind it all the way back. You know, this show started out in Colorado uh, by Kurt and Travis. I took it over in 2018, almost five, it's actually five years ago, like this month. Crazy. That is so crazy. Anyway, um, I moved back to Florida a couple years ago where I'm from. And something I've been thinking about a lot lately, and something I've always kind of been interested in is, you know, we, we have adventures a lot of times on land that someone decided to protect at some point. So whether that be a national park or a state park or some sort of state forest, I mean, so many of the adventures we talk about on the show happen because people are protecting land all over the world. And I'm becoming more and more interested in how those pieces of land come to be. How does the national park come to be? How does you know a protected area come to be that we eventually get to recreate on? And I want to be part of... Uh, the the force and the movement of protecting more and more land. Because here in Florida, especially, if you're not familiar with the state, it's a very narrow strip of land. And it's the most popular state to move to in the whole United States. Like so many people are moving here. And there's already a lot of people here. I think it's the third most populous state, only behind Texas and California. And so this decade is really important to Florida to making sure the whole thing doesn't get turned into a parking lot. Um, I've been all over the world on adventures in Florida, where I live now, is as adventurous, as beautiful, as majestic, as awe-inspiring as anywhere I've ever been. It's truly a m- remarkable place, and it's so sad to me how few people actually ever see what we call the real Florida or old Florida. And it's a race right now to make sure you know, people building houses and Walmart parking lots and everything else don't just destroy all of nature, cut down all the forests to 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 make, you know, condos and houses and whatnot. So uh, this next decade is really important. And uh, I'm really inspired. I'm really wanting to get involved in the fight here for conservation and for protecting these areas because these are eventually areas we get to go and enjoy and have adventures on. Um, so I'm all about it. And so I decided to start a podcast all about that topic. Even if you're not interested in Florida, it is a blueprint on how a place with lots of people, what seems like not a lot of room, can make a connected and protected network of land for not only our 130 plus endangered species to survive, but also for humans to recreate and have true wilderness experiences, uh, as well as, you know, plenty of people to live. So I I think it's a really cool blueprint for anywhere else in the world uh, that might be experiencing a lot of growth or can get ahead of that growth by protecting large swaths of land uh, ahead of time. So I'm super passionate about this. I'd love to share this first one. It's I, I'm interviewing a rancher, Jim Strickland, legendary rancher. He manages like a dozen ranches, probably tens of thousands of acres under his management, cattle ranches. And that's another cool thing about Florida. A lot of the land here uh, is cattle ranching, and a lot of nature is on cattle ranches. Like the, the animals, the panthers, the bears, the, the deer, they don't know they're on a cattle ranch. They just know they're out in the woods somewhere. So it's kind of cool that 
working lands, I say, quote, working lands, is where a lot of nature is and a lot of nature happens. So Jim is going to talk to me about that topic. So if you're interested, check it out. It's Florida Uncut. That's the only interview or the only episode I have out right now. Every other week, we're going to release one. It's going to be a lot less less uh, episodes in this show, but Still going to be doing the Adventure Sports Podcast, um, but just excited to launch something new. I thought it was a great conversation. I hope you enjoy. All right, let's go ahead and dive in. All right, folks, welcome to the show. We're here uh, at Blackbeard's Ranch with manager Jim Strickland. Mr. Manager. Strickland, welcome to uh, the show. And I, I just want to say, too, I, I know you're busy. We've been talking about, I've only known you about a week, maybe a couple weeks. <laughs> and you have been all over the place in that amount of time. Is that is that typical? Yeah, that's pretty typical. I mean, uh, you know, usually a Cowboys day is different. Even if you're on the same ranch with us, we have, we're scattered out and have some different places where we have cattle. So you're always moving around. And, you know, aside from doing that, we're in different leadership roles in the Cattlemen's Association, Farm Bureau, uh, our conservation endeavors. And, you know, this is the ranch we're at now is is Blackbeard. That's where we're sitting now. But there's about five other ranches that uh, that I take care of. And there's Strickland Ranch and there's Quincy Strickland up there and and, uh, around north of Ocala. So we're we're scattered out quite a bit. And all that is under the the name what is there a name for all those together they're all their own thing they're all uh they're all a different entity uh there might be uh different partnerships you know that come there's some that i own wholly there's some that i'm partners with some i'm different partners with uh we just had one we just had one group called florida cattle ranchers group and and we fed cattle at a feedlot up there in, in chiefland which was owned by don quincy Mm-hmm. which is also uh, a partner of mine in Quincy Strickland in North Florida. And uh, so we're, we're, we can dive into it, but we're, we're scattered out everywhere. I wish I could say some of the times I stayed at one place, but I don't stay at one place very long. No, you don't. I, you got a lot of entities to keep track of. And when I was reading about you, there's a lot of acronyms too in your life uh you know i just left uh i was just appointed to the uh, farm service agency for the state of florida which really means that we are the gatekeeper for all funding for usda that flow out through the agricultural entities as particularly the money that it flows into the state from the federal government that flows back out to those of us that have been damaged by by disasters it could have been hurricane michael it could have been hurricane irma it could have been hurricane ian um, that the Secretary of Agriculture, uh, Vilsack, uh, pointed me to this committee. So I'm just back from two days, two fun-filled days, up at the main USDA office in, in Gainesville, working on all the disaster uh, that was happened from Ian and all the multitudes of counties and the multitudes of commodities, orange groves, sit, orange groves, which are, you know, all varieties of citrus, farms, nurseries, cattle, um, is how are we going to, you know, use the federal money and how are we going to distribute it? Talk about acronyms. I actually asked, I was like, can I get a list of the acronyms of which we're using here today? Because I don't know about 99% of them. They should certainly guess how many pages I got of acronyms. Oh, Lord have mercy. I, I got 13 know. pages of acronyms. I'll share those with you if you want me to. I have actually, in my pursuit of understanding 
conservation in Florida, and you know this is with any field, but I, I started a page or, or a document keeping track of all the acronyms from with you it's got I've got a, my own list of all sorts of different associations and projects going on and I'm kind of blown away by all the entities you deal with but I really want to dive back I don't know if you tell this story a lot but I really want to hear how how you got into this your dad was a rancher and you grew up doing this where was that what were you doing at that point well, most of the time, I either wanted to be a cowboy or I wanted to be a surfer. So as, as long as we, let's just frame frame this. Which up. one did you do? Both. Okay. I, I actually have a new surfboard uh, down at the house. I don't use it very regularly, but the National Cattlemen Association actually had it made for me. Um, I, I served in some capacity with them. So it's interesting. I don't use that surfboard much. You can look at me and tell I'm not a surfer today, but we were ra- I was raised in Manatee County, not too far from the beach. My father, my father, uh, when he got out of World War II, he came, he met my mother at a boarding house. My mother was a, a social worker, just graduated from Florida State University, still remembers when, you know, it was an all-girls school. And so they met. Dad, after World War II, had open-range cattle uh, up towards Gulf Hammock, north of Crystal River, and over towards Ocala. And that's where all of us are from when we migrated in about 1858-59. We migrated, the Stricklands migrated from Thomasville, Georgia area, down to the Marion County Citrus uh, area. And we had not a lot of money. Uh, Still don't have a lot of money. Um, never gained a lot of fame and fortune along the way, but I think that one of the things that we've carried on through the generations is the love of the land and cattle. Um, you don't make a lot of money off a cattle ranch. It's a slim margin of profit at best, but I think maybe that has been our downfall. We love the country, we love being in the woods, and we love following a cow uh, through the woods. So uh, when Dad came down here, he was, he was stationed right there in, in uh, Crystal River, which was his hometown. And he started Strickland Brothers Sausage right after the war. And he was peddling sausage out of probably about a 52 model Chevrolet. Met my mother at a rooming house before they had any uh, hotels. And uh, they got married. And I was raised in Braden, Florida. Went to school at Manatee High School. At, and also went to school at Walker Junior High School. Um, when when they had junior high schools before they had middle school so so i i love surfing i started surfing whenever i was probably around around nine or ten years old but i also loved the cattle industry i loved being on a horse but all our land was leased that we don't come from a long line of people that have a large amount of land and money that they transferred down to us we have leased land and i've leased land my entire life. My father leased a lot. We did own some land out towards Parrish, Florida, and some up, uh, some up towards Crystal River where we had cattle, but the majority of it was leased. Dad died when I was uh, 17 going on 18 yep. and kind of left me with a lot of leased land to take care of for, for my mother. And uh, so that's what I did for several years and then eventually bought her out. Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. So the, the le- there's a lot there I want to visit, and, and I do have some questions that you got into. Um, 
Where in Manatee County exactly? Where not? Yeah, I, I was raised. Uh, I was raised on Fifty First Street, right next to the Country Club. But we did not have a Country Club house. We had we had an old rambling house, and uh, uh, our neighbors probably got tired of us because we always had a cattle truck. We always had deer dogs or cow dogs. Right always there in had, town. Right in the middle of town, um, about went to about four houses down from the Braden Country Club. And uh, Dad always had a uh, had a little farm in the side yard that he grew onions and he grew sweet potatoes because, you know, being coming up poor, uh, he always sweet potatoes you didn't need refrigeration for. He believed in having uh, sweet potatoes and onions. We also had a smokehouse in in the uh, in the backyard, so the smokehouse burnt down. I know twice that uh, the the fire department had to come put the smokehouse out. <laughs> So, so we were we were kind of like the Beverly Hillbillies with no money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that was my life. So why not why not be out in the country then? Why not? Because what was keeping them in town? because Dad, you know, we went going back to that slim margin of profit in your leasing your leasing land. Dad was from the cattle business on open range mm-hmm. uh, up towards Gulf Hammock. Whenever he moved down here and married my mother, he needed a job, and he he had attended university of florida but never graduated okay. he'd done a lot of things in world war ii and and gained some skills but he he went to work for the fire department uh so he was working for the fire department in downtown Braden, florida and leasing back then you could lease a lot of land and dad had connections to north florida where he's from and they still had a lot of what we call cracker cattle a lot of those little sharp horned spanish cattle that back then weighed about six seven hundred pounds and dad would go up there and buy them by the semi loads bring them down here to south florida where we had better grasses deworm them mm-hmm. you know we kill all the parasites that that were in them and these were not tame cattle they were little wild cattle and and so he was a fireman and he had he had a lot of leased land around manatee sarasota and some down in charlotte county and he, and he was also a property appraiser wasn't he for a while he was was that all uh, at the same time of, of all this it was right after being a fireman uh he happened to be sitting there one day and there was a reporter for the brain and herald that came by and he always visited with the fireman just to check what was going on and he he and dad had formed some sort of bond and he said hiram why don't you run for property appraiser and dad said you know that sounds like a really great idea so how he financed his run his first political run for property appraiser he met who we call Uncle Archie Powell. He was the manager of the A&P uh, grocery store by McKechnie Field in downtown Braden. They partnered and they planted 20 acres of sweet potatoes. And they said, if the sweet potatoes come in and make money, we'll have enough money for a political race. If the sweet potatoes don't, I'm not running for property appraiser because I don't have any money. Well, the sweet potatoes came in. He was elected uh, property appraiser and then reelected, I do believe, three times after that. Was the dream to always do cattle full time, or was it just this is great as something to do on the side? Dad was a little unusual that um, he was raised very poor. He was he was one of nine children. His father um, was killed by a horse when he was thirteen years old. Uh, so you know he he was raised pretty tough back in those days. So he was very frugal, but he he realized that off-farm income which we still use today across america is you know there's usually some of our family that work off the farm that being property appraiser afforded him a salary he was good at it he knew land very well 
Uh, he knew valuations and he understood people. He ran, a, he ran a very good office, but he was also good about talking around campfires to cowboys because that's what he was. I mean, he was an open range cowboy. So he could sit around and talk. I think that skill set led him to Tallahassee, that he was the lobbyist for the Florida Property Appraisers Association for many years until his, until his death. Uh, every year during the legislative session, my father would be in Tallahassee. He would be lobbying for property rights. He'd be lobbying for uh, the, and back then they called them tax assessors. That was before property appraisers. So dad could walk both roles. He could be in town or he could be on the ranch. His real love was being in the woods. If I said anything about my dad, I would probably say he was a woodsman, that he loved cattle. He knew cattle, but he loved just being in the woods just being out there and that ultimately led you know his dad passed away when he was 13 you were a little older but not by much 17 18 there's a big there's a lot that happens from 13 to 17 but you're in basically in that same situation as he was and all of a sudden all this responsibility is on your shoulders was that the only option is that the only way it could go is that just what you had to deal with no there was there was another option keeping in mind that i was young um, I lived in town. The majority, majority, not all, but the majority of the land that we ran cattle on was, uh, was leased land. And there were quite a few of my father's confidants and, and friends that said, you know, Jim, you'll never make it in the cattle business. You'll never make it in agriculture. That, you know, you aren't being left a lot of money. What you're being left was a lot of debt uh, because Dad had bought, bought some orange groves and bought some land uh, before, and we went into a recession. Um, so they tried to convince me to, you know, just to sell all the family cattle and go get a job in town. Well, that wasn't my dream since I was about seven years old was not being on a horse and not being on a cattle ranch. And, and so we, we stuck it out. My mother stuck with me for a couple of years. I was very fortunate that around 19 or 20, I found a bank in town that would loan me the money to buy my mother out, which, you know, of course, we that cattle were part of the collateral uh, for land. And uh, so I bought her out. And, and to me, that was my dream. That, that, was, that was my dream was to keep doing what I wanted to do since I was seven years old, probably. I think I started really riding with a cow crew when I was about seven. So this was a dream of yours. You wanted to keep it going. And your mother was supportive or at least wanted to get you on your feet. Yeah, m- my mother was very supportive. Uh, but she didn't have the financial wherewithal to say, hey, I'm going to give you this. It had to be purchased. And it goes back to, you know, the, it goes back to those people you meet, the people you know, and the mentors. And I have been very fortunate in my life to have partners and mentors. And I think it's still very important today in, in the endeavor, especially in agriculture, because we're less than 2% of the population. There's not a lot of us out there. So, yeah. so we need to find, we need to encourage those children that want to be in agriculture. I don't care whether it's sugarcane farming, cattle ranching, nurseries, or tropical fish. We need to put those children with mentors and try to educate them and make sure that's what they want to do. And then we need to try to help them because agriculture and these green space is what's really going to hold Florida together. Uh, it's held us together for a long time, but looking into the future, and I'm not looking 10 or 20 years down the road, but 500 years down the road, 
you know, that's when we need to start. But that's where we need to look is what are we going to look like? Because all of us, I don't know what your viewers age, but I'm assuming that's younger than my 67 years old. Um, but they're going to have children and, and they're going to see such drastic changes in the next 50 years of, of our state of Florida with the influx of somewhere around, you know, 700, a thousand new residents a day, you know, we're going to bump 26 million people in the state of Florida pretty quick. And then you throw in all of the tourists that come to Florida for all the things that we love, the sunshine yeah. and the water and the fishing and the outdoors. hundred million plus a year, something like that. 150 tourists that is. So you're right. You're one of the first people that I've talked to and I, when we, when, when I heard you speak at the, uh, the meeting uh, downtown a couple of weeks ago, other than like the National Park Service, you're one of the first people I've ever mentioned conservation in the timelines, 500 to 1,000 years. A lot of people say the next generation or 100 years from now, but you're looking that far ahead. And what's crazy is how quickly it's changed in one generation for you, how, fa how much is gone double that in two generations, which you've also seen, or three. It's unbelievable. So yeah, in, in a, just a couple more in a, a generations, it could be either gone or just irreversible. Um, when did you start to see this or like start to uh, get a feel that this isn't guaranteed forever? Because you, you know, you, obviously at 17, you're probably focused on just making this work. At what age and at what time or did something happen where you noticed we got to not only work this cattle, pursue this dream, but also protect it. There were several things. All right, folks, that is the first 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes of this interview. There's almost another hour uh, to it. And Jim's going to really dive into some cool stuff here where he's talking about um, why he started changing his mindset around land and wanting to protect it. Just like me, you know, I, I don't have very many adventures now where I'm not thinking about, okay, how did this place come to me? How do we protect this place? How do we make sure this river or this lake or this trail remains this, this beautiful nature forever? How do we make sure it doesn't turn into a resort or a golf course or whatever? Um, and Jim started thinking the same thing when he saw all the land that he was using for cattle slowly disappear. It's unimaginable now, but he used to have cows that went all the way to the coast where we live, uh, all the way to the beach, where the beach was one of the borders of the land he leased. Now he's pushed almost 30 miles inland with where his ranch is today. So that's how much development there's been going on in this area, in uh, the Sarasota County, Manatee County area in Florida. But anyway, I'm going to be talking about these topics. I'd love for you to check out the show and uh, support it any way you can. But uh, yeah, whatever, wherever you are in the world, get involved. Make sure the places that we have adventures will continue to be there for generations to come to inspire people for a thousand years, not just right now. Get out there and have some fun. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast link is in the show notes 
And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>